Luke chapter 13, we're going to begin in, uh, with verse 22 and we'll go through verse 30 today. And uh, while you're doing that, I'm going to get a quick sip of water. So I heard somebody once tell me that there are going to be at least two things that surprise us when we get to heaven. The first thing that will surprise us is who is there. I mean, really, that weird uncle of mine actually snuck in. I don't know how. I am utterly shocked by the fact that he made it in. The other thing that we would be surprised by when we get to heaven, according to this person, is who's not there. Really, that neighbor of mine was such a good person, they went to church all the time. That pastor, who was always so kind to us and always took care of us, I, I just assumed that person would be in. So, two things that might surprise us when we arrive in heaven. Number one, who is there? Number two, who is not there? Perhaps a third would be the fact that we are there. (laughs) How in the world would God permit somebody such as myself? That's just my own little addendum. I don't know exactly how how true that that little uh, antidote is, but it, it is important to us as we go through this passage of text in in regards to the kingdom of heaven and who is actually part of the kingdom of heaven and who's not a part of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus deals with this situation directly. So before we get going, let's try to set this account in, uh, in its context because it is an issue. It is in regards to the kingdom of God and Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of God. And in fact, you'll recall that his his demonstration that the kingdom of God is present began, well, actually began back in chapter 11, well, at least that's a key verse, where Jesus said, if I cast out demons by by the finger of God, then you will know that the kingdom of God has come upon you. How will you know that the kingdom of God has come upon you? Is when the king of the kingdom demonstrates authority over the powers of darkness. When the when somebody arrives on scene and has authority over hell to command hell to disperse and to, to be gone, then you will know that the kingdom of heaven has come upon you. And then, in just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus heals this woman. She's been bent over for 18 years. And we noticed that it wasn't simply a physical malady, but rather it was one that Jesus said was caused by, a demo- by demonic activity. And he causes the, the, de- the demonic to depart and so and thereby declaring and stating in no uncertain terms, the kingdom of God has come. Why? Because the ruler of this world, Satan, has been overthrown and cast out. I am now the king. If, the ki- if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then you know the kingdom has come. And then he does exactly that. 
Nobody is left with any doubt as to what's going on. So that's what we saw. And then we saw last week a little bit more of an explanation of kind of the characteristics or the nature of the kingdom, that it begins very small and that it grows rather large and that it, that it has... Uh, that it, uh, it infiltrates every aspect of society. So that's where we've been in this area of the kingdom of God. And so by looking forward by way of preview, today we want to continue that theme of the kingdom of God. But what we're going to do is who's in and who's out. That's really what we want to know, isn't it? I want to know, who am I in? Who's in? So we're going to talk today about who will enter this kingdom of which Jesus is the king. And we're going to see probably three, I hope to to focus on three big elements. And the first one is that entrance into the kingdom or the way of salvation is narrow. It is restricted. It is not broad. So the way of salvation is narrow. The second thing we want to deal with is that entrance is on God's terms. That may come as a shock to many people. And third, that the time to enter is short. There actually comes a day when entrance is no longer permitted. The the door gets shut. Done. Over. So that's really where I hope to go today. And so with that, let's go ahead and follow along with me as I read our text today. This will be in Luke chapter 13, verses 22 through 30. This is God's holy, inerrant word. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord... Will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. And this concludes the reading of God's word. Our Father, we come before you this day and we would ask that you would open our hearts and our ears. I pray, gracious Lord, that your words go forth. Lord, you told Jeremiah that my words in your mouth are fire. And I pray, Father God, not because of any great skill on my part, Lord God, but by the the Holy Spirit, that your word would be fire and would consume all of our objections and all of our hindrances and that in the end, Lord God, we would be consumed by you and we would call upon you and you would be our sole focus and our sole desire. So I pray, Father God, let your word have its perfect will and let your name be honored in all that we do and all that we say and in all that we hear for the glory of Christ our Lord. Amen. So this begins then with Jesus traveling... 
down to Jerusalem. And if you've been with us in the Gospel of Luke for some time, you will note that this reference to Jerusalem certainly strikes an ominous note because Jesus is not going to Jerusalem for a vacation, nor is he going there just to kind of hang out. He is going there to be rejected and to be crucified. You'll recall way back with um, Peter's confession, Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And at that point, the whole gospel of Luke shifts and everything begins to focus on Jerusalem. Everything is now. Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem. He has set his face to be rejected by Israel, rejected by the leaders, rejected by the people, nailed to a cross and murdered. The Son of God murdered at the hands of men. This is where he's going. He's journeying on his way to Jerusalem. On his way there, he capitalizes on his time and he begins to teach people from large cities to villages. He begins to teach them about the kingdom of God. And we should note that in Luke, teaching, the teaching ministry is, is, is an emphasis for Luke. So Jesus is going to Jerusalem and he is teaching about the kingdom of God and, and what it all means, and demonstrating that he is the king of that kingdom. So when he arrives in Jerusalem, there will be no excuse. They may yell, crucify him, but they know exactly who it is they are crucifying. And so with that, there is an individual, unnamed, we don't know who it is, said, Lord, will those who are saved be few? That's a pretty good question. Is there going to be a lot of people saved or only a few people saved? Let's face it, we all want to know that, that, the answer to that question. A whole bunch of folks or only a few people? It was a very common question in Jesus' day. I was reading in, in, in a number of uh, Jewish writings and this was a topic that was discussed quite often. Who's going to be saved? And of course, um, amongst the Jewish writings, it was certainly assumed that those who were children of Abraham, those who were Israelites, were, of course, going to be included in the resurrection. But beyond us, who else? And so this was a very common question. I, I guess the question is this. Is salvation inclusive or is salvation exclusive? Which one is it? Is it inclusive? That is, does it include a whole lot of people or is it exclusive? Is it limited to just a few? It's a good question. People want to know if it is inclusive or exclusive. And I'm going to, to try to show that I hate to ride the fence, but I'll ride the fence. Um, it's both. It is inclusive. Look at these passages of text in Scripture. That, that we see that demonstrates that um, salvation is inclusive. That is, it comes, salvation comes to those of all walks of life. We see in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are great, slaves are free. All were made to drink of one spirit. Everybody was included. And then uh, probably the most common passage here in Galatians 3, 28 tells us, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, I don't have that verse memorized, so I'll have to 
Back up. There we go. Thank you. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. No, no Jew, no Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. It is inclusive. In that salvation comes to those from every walk of life. It doesn't matter what, kind, what your socioeconomic background is. It does not matter your race, your gender. It does not matter your profession or your education level. None of that it has any bearing on whether or not um, one might enter into the kingdom of God. And so we'll see as we get to the end of this that people will come from all over the world and enter into the kingdom of God. So in that sense, it is inclusive. On the other side, it is exclusive. That is, salvation is via a narrow door. That is, it is a restricted entry. And this is really important for us today because we have people, and we need to caution about this, people... Um, creating their own, their own ways of how a person gets saved or how a person enters in. Let's face it, if you talk to anybody, if they believe that there is a heaven, if they believe there is a heaven, if you were to ask them, do you believe in heaven and hell? They would say, yeah. let's say they say, yes. Are you going to heaven or hell? I'm going to heaven. Why? And they are going to give you a reason why they're going to heaven. I'm a nice person. I'm a good person. I, I do good things. I'm, I, you know, all of these things. What we want to do, though, is determine, so everybody's got a reason, a, a, a reason why they are going to be saved, a reason why they are going to be in, in heaven. What we want to do is to determine what is that narrow way that Jesus speaks about, what is that restricted pathway that Jesus talks about, and are we aligning ourselves to that narrow way? Are we on that path? Because if it is narrow and it is not wide, if, it, if we do not enter into the kingdom any old way we desire, then we should determine and, and have an understanding, what is the path and am I on it? So, great question. Are the saved going to be few? And Jesus gives an answer, and I'll say it's even a better answer. And I love his answer because he gets away from the abstract and gets right down to the concrete. In other words, he asked, well, what about you? That's a bit of a paraphrase, but that's what he's saying. Are the, the saved going to be few? And Jesus says that's really not uh, uh, the most important thing. What's really important is how about you? Are you saved? That's the question. Uh, and we can get into all sorts of theological debates, and I love to have theological debates, and maybe sometime we can sit down and, and talk theology. I would love to do that with just about anybody in here. And we can talk, well, perhaps, what about maybe there's some tribal bushman in some region far across the world who's never heard the gospel but really believes, would that person, could that person be saved? And we can get into theological um, conversations about that abstract idea or perhaps, you know, is, was Mother Teresa saved? And, and we can get into those types of abstract discussions. But Jesus avoids that abstract discussion and he gets right down to the concrete. What about you? That's what I'm interested in. You. And that's what I'm interested in. So we can have that theological debate. Maybe after when we're having soup and stuff downstairs, we, we can enter into that discussion. I would enjoy that. Maybe you would too. But, but for this message, we're going to leave that for a later time. I want to talk about you. Are you saved? Are you going to enter into the kingdom of heaven? Because that's where Jesus is going. And so, 
when he asked this, what about you? Don't forget the audience. Remember who Jesus is speaking to. He's speaking to good Jewish people. People who've grown up going to the synagogue all their lives. I'm sure within the crowd there's some rabble-rousers. There's some pretty shady individuals. Probably most people are just good people. Help their neighbor. Um, love mankind. If they see somebody in need, they'll do whatever they can to help them out. This is a hospitable culture. It is one that if somebody is, is traveling, they make sure they show hospitality. So this, these are good people. And he asked them, this may have been a shocking question. What about you? And this is what he says. Strive to enter through the narrow door. Verse 24. Strive to enter through the narrow door. This idea of strive um, carries with it the um, make every effort. Do everything necessary. And perhaps this word strive produces mm, two responses, at least two responses. And I think the first response might be strive. I thought everybody, God loves everybody. Everybody's God's child. I'm a child of God. You're a child of God. The person across the street's a child of God. The person across the world. What do you mean strive? There's nothing to strive for. Everybody's loved by God. Everybody's in. That would be one response. The second response, and I per- perhaps uh, maybe more common in this particular group, is strive. What do you mean strive? I thought we were saved by grace through faith. What do you mean strive? I don't have to do anything. God does everything. I thought salvation was a gift. And yet here we have this idea, strive. Strive to enter in through the narrow gate. And when we consider this word strive and see how it's used throughout the New Testament, it's used in a couple of different ways. Certainly it's used um, in, uh, in a military idea of, of a soldier who uh, works hard and diligent to um, not be entangled in civilian affairs. But probably the most common way that we, we see it used is in regards to athletic endeavor. An athlete, somebody who strives to win a prize, somebody who strives to win the, a game in February, I think February 3rd. We have the Winter Olympics coming up, and I'm excited, even though NHL players won't be playing in the hockey. There will still be good ice hockey, but no NHL players. I know you're all disappo- as disappointed as I am, so we'll take a moment to grieve. Okay, that's enough. But, but, but here's one of the things that's going to happen when, when somebody gets a gold medal and they interview. Here's what you're not going to hear. You know, I just kind of woke up the other day and thought I'd come on out and just do my thing. And I didn't work a day in my life for this. I didn't attempt anything. I just sat up, partied all night, drank beer for the past four years and... You know, just went out there. No, these people reprioritize their lives. They decided that there was a prize that was worth prioritizing their lives for. Sacrificing much, perhaps even family and friends and social life and all of those things so that they might obtain that prize. This is the picture then of strive to enter through the narrow gate. It is this idea of prioritizing one's life in such a way that obstacles to obtain the prize are overcome. In other words, let nothing stop you. Um, 
let nothing stop you from applying Jesus' message to your life. Because here's the thing. Jesus has given us a, a rather restrictive message. Here's what he said. He said, if you want to be my disciple, you must lay down your life, take up your cross, and follow after me. What? I thought his goal was that I would be happy. Lay down your life, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after me. If you are going to do that, I'm going to assume it will take some effort. Maybe not for you, but for me. Denying myself? Yeah, I... I that doesn't come real naturally to me. Take up my cross and follow after you. Well, it depends where you're going. You'll notice when Jesus said that, guess where he was going? He was going to Jerusalem. We already explained what happens in Jerusalem. That's where I want you to follow me. So this idea of, so Jesus lays down this rather restrictive pathway of entrance into his kingdom. This is what he said. He said, repent and believe the gospel. Repent means to turn away from whatever it is you're doing that is not alignment with God. Turn away from that. Repent and believe. Believe then is to turn towards God and, and, and live your life for him. That's kind of restrictive because it's not very natural because the things that I'm turning away from are the things that my heart seems to naturally tend itself towards and turn to God and live my life for, for Him. So if one is to strive to enter by the narrow door, the striving, this entering into the kingdom is on God's terms. It is not on your own terms. We enter into the kingdom not any which way we so desire, but on the terms that God Himself has laid down. The gospel, the good news. And Jesus even said the gospel brings conflict. Not only will it bring conflict um, between family members and friends and, and one another, it'll bring conflict against to, within yourself. I mean, the night that I called upon the name of the Lord to be saved, there were a lot of things going on. First of all, please... Um, I only had one, it wasn't like I was going, well, I don't know if I should or I shouldn't. I was going to. But I'll tell you, some things were going through my mind. Since I'm going to do this, my life is going to change. Some of the things that I do, I don't think, I don't know much about this whole Christian thing, but I know some of the things I do are probably not pleasing to God. They're probably going to have to go by the wayside. And there's a little bit of wrestling in that. But the salvation that God was offering was of a greater priority, was of a greater priority than whatever else my own desires and the world was promising me. I'd already been part of that and there was nothing there. Folks, when we live our lives as Christians, we will go against the current. Only dead fish go downstream. Live fish go upstream. We swim against the current. 
and it is it is difficult at times. Sometimes going against the flow of our culture and expectations is difficult. We have completely different ethic and moral and And the world looks at us as being odd, or at least they ought to. The early church was seen as odd, seen as weird. Our flesh and our world place many obstacles in our path. But as we strive, we desire to overcome those obstacles. I guess the bottom line is you don't accidentally enter into the kingdom. You just don't wake up one day and go, oh gosh, what do you know? I, just like the Olympian does not accidentally wake up and win a gold medal. You do not accidentally end up in the kingdom of God. That's not your natural destination. The Bible says that we are by nature children of wrath. So, that's enough of the striving thing. Let's move on to this idea of the narrow door. Strive to enter the narrow door. In other words, access to God is not a take-whatever-path-you-desire affair. It is a narrow door. So we, do, we don't just take a whatever approach. The other thing is you don't enter in mass. The door is narrow. We don't enter in as a people. We don't enter in as a church. Just because you're part of the church on Randall Place is no guarantee that you are part of the kingdom of God, even if you are a church member. Even if you are in a leadership position, we do not enter in mass. By joining this church does not guarantee your access into the kingdom of God. I pray because you are a part of the kingdom of God that you are part of this church. But being part of this church does not um, guarantee you. We, we're not going to end up entering in as, well, here comes the church on Randall Place. Here they all come. It's not going to happen. And you do not enter in because you are an American or a Baptist or a... Name it. Some people, there is liberation theology and the fact that you are oppressed guarantees your entrance into the kingdom of heaven. No! You do not enter in, in mass. You enter in through a narrow door. God sets the route. God sets the means. And hence, many will seek to enter, but Jesus says few will gain access. And so here we see the exclusive nature of the kingdom of God. Many will seek to enter. And then Jesus goes on and he begins to tell this parable of the master of the house. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside the door and knock, saying, Lord, open up to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. So not only do we see that the door is narrow, and not only do we see that one must come on God's term, but here's the other thing we should take note of. The door is only open for a period of time, and I'll say a very short period of time. There actually comes a day when the door gets shut. Have you thought about that? The door actually gets shut. And I know you're going, well, I'm living up, I'm living my life, everything's fine. What do you mean? Oh, there's plenty of time. The door gets shut. I don't know when the door gets shut. I do know that when Christ returns in all of his glory and splendor, the door will be shut. 
But perhaps the door gets shut on us like today. I've had friends die, young people die of brain aneurysms. Like, just, they're here one moment, they're, they're not here the next. Door got shut. So one must come on God's terms. One must come through this narrow door and the door is only open for a short time. I love the response of the people who Jesus in this parable. They begin to stand outside the door and knock saying, Lord, open. In other words, they're shocked that the door is shut. They're surprised. How is it that the door is shut? should be shut. We're good people. We're kind to our neighbors. On Thanksgiving, we go and feed the homeless and we do all of these things and we give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and I sent off numerous um, boxes to, to Samaritan's Purse. By the way, we sent out 68 boxes to Samaritan Purse, 48 from this church and 20 from the school, so praise God, thank you. I thought I'd get that in there. But I did that. And certainly, that qualifies me. And so these people are shocked that they're left, that they're, that they're kept outside, that the door has been shut on them. And Jesus says, I don't acknowledge you. I don't know where you came from. I, I, I don't know who you are. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 tells us the Lord knows who are His. The Lord knows those who are His. And then, I love the, the next one, they don't give up. They don't just knock and Jesus says, uh, or the master of the house says, I don't know who you are. They keep knocking and they say, wait a second. Let's reason this out. We ate together and you were in our town. I heard you talk. We hung out together. Don't you remember? We hung out together. We, we did stuff together. Lord, you can't keep us out now. I remember I went to a revival meeting and I even said amen. And, and when you came to town, I, uh, I invited you to my house for dinner and we had a nice meal and a great conversation. Don't you remember that, Lord? I don't know who you are. I don't know where you came from. And so we need to remind ourselves that outward contact with the message and person of Jesus counts for nothing. It counts for nothing. Inward reception is necessary. I've been seeing this video um, throughout the week, and so I thought I would uh, put it up there and um, see how it goes. Yeah. 
in the Bible Belt, and who just assume that because of where I have grown up, I am saved. This is what's going on in this passage of text. Lord, we hung out with you. We went to church. We went to RA, Royal Ambassadors. My parents are Christians. I'm from Texas, don't you know? I don't know where you're from. I don't know you. Don't forget the audience. These are not mass murderers. These are people who went to synagogue every week. They, they kept the Sabbath days. They, they celebrated the festival days. They ate kosher. They circumcised their children on the eighth day. They did all of the things that they were supposed to do. And Jesus is saying, I don't know you. It does not matter that we ate dinner together or that you went to my revival meetings. That has nothing. Inward reception of my words is what matters. And it should demonstrate itself. I love that term. Stumble forward. Are you stumbling forward? Go home today and watch a football game. Just a little bit. And some of you are going, amen, the preacher told me that. But watch the guy carrying the ball. Watch him. Almost never will he fall backwards. Every time he is tackled, every time he trips, it will always be for, always advancing the ball. It never goes back. He will never. He's going to stumble forward. Always stumble forward. And so, yeah, we don't live out this life in perfect obedience to God's law. Hence, we have a Savior who is righteous and willing to forgive us of our sins. But stumble forward. Live out the life that God has called. So that when you arrive at that door and Jesus says, Oh, I know exactly where you're from. I know exactly who you are. I recognize you. You're one of mine. And he calls these people evil workers. But I thought these were, these are good people. These are your neighbors and your friends. And, they, and we gather around and say, you're evil workers. That is, you are unrighteous. And the reason you're unrighteous isn't because you, you are a nasty individual. You are unrighteous because all of the works done outside of, of glorifying Christ are filthy Nasty rags. They are nothing and they are worthless. Your righteousness that you do in of your own self to 
merit some sort of favor with God will not get you there. God has already bestowed favor upon you and the way he has demonstrated his favor is that when you were a sinner, Christ died for you. And so now you will express your love towards him in righteous deeds. But if you think that your goodness is going to earn you some sort of favor with God, you will be sorely mistaken and God will say, I don't know where you're from. So, just a quick summary. Not only is the door narrow and people must come the right way, but the door is only open for a short time. And then Jesus says this. Um, in that place, in this place that is away from the master's home, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, I think this is a picture of hell. I think that's a fair understanding of this. So let's just... Um, point this out, hell is not a party. All of my, many of my friends say, well, I, I want to be in hell. That's where all my friends are going to be, and we're going to have a great old time. Hell is not a party. There is no picture in the Bible of hell being a place of permanent fiesta. It is not a permanent happy hour. It is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is, their birth and their proximity to Jesus made them ideal candidates. And you are ideal candidates because of your proximity. I believe that this is a, the message that I'm saying today is faithful to the scriptures. If it is not, please somebody afterwards tell me where I have gone astray. But I believe that it is faithful to the gospel message that Jesus proclaimed. And your proximity to it makes you an ideal candidate. So do not fail to respond in faith that these people failed to respond in faith and ultimately were rejected. They thought they were insiders and they became outsiders. Will you, who's going to be saved? And they thought they were, we're insiders, we're already in. But the truth of the matter is Jesus turns this around and says, no, actually you're the outsiders. And then we move on to see who's going to be in this great, Jesus talks about this, this uh, banquet, this dinner party if you will. And who are you going to see? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets. This was expected. Of course you're going to see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets. These are the forefathers, the, the prominent people of, of Israel. Of course you're going to see people from Israel saved. That makes perfect sense. And then Jesus drops a bomb on them by saying this. And people will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. You're cast out, but people from the east and the west and the north and the south, that is Gentiles, that is dogs, that is people who we had no hope of ever entering into God's kingdom. You're cast out, but these people are coming in. People from across the globe, the blessed of God, are going to come from everywhere. What a great day that will be. People from around the world, of every tribe and tongue and nation. Yes, that, that indigenous bush person who hears the gospel and calls upon the name of the Lord. Yes, that person is coming in to uh, the gospel. But... Don't be one of these people. Well, I went to revival. I went to all of these things. No, you're cast out. Believe the gospel. And the last will be first and the first will be last. In other words, folks, we're all on the same footing. Um, today, there are those who have exposure to the gospel. And some of them may turn out to be excluded. 
because they do not know Jesus personally. They know him from a distance. They know him because they hear the Bible and they sing the songs, but they never acknowledge him and they never have a personal connection with him. So I'll conclude with this. The only passport to the kingdom of heaven is faith and submission to Christ. That is the only passport. We, we don't get to just make up our own ways to come in. And we try to. We say, well, this is what I think a person, this is the way I think a person should enter into heaven. That's a fine opinion, but it's not the opinion of Jesus. And Jesus is the authority on, on this subject. And as I said, this message began with the question, will the saved be few? But the better question Jesus responds with the better question, and that is, will the saved be you? Let's stand and let's pray.